Hey, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Water Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. I hope the next few minutes encourage you and cause you to live a life further after the things of God. Enjoy. I felt like after the topic that I'm going to share as we continue this series on permission, that somehow, some way within us, there would be a need to respond. Um, when we find ourselves moved, think about our spouses, even our children. There comes a point when we encounter them in a way that we feel like we have to respond in some form or fashion. Let me, let me explain. Now, when our children, those of us who have kids, do something, well, let's, let's put it in the realm of activities, whether it be sports or dance or things like that. And they've done something in the realm of that, whether it's a game or a recital or things like that. Do you, you know you want to spend extra attention, give them extra attention after they've done something like that, right? And so we respond to them in that extra way. If if uh, we've set a, a special time, maybe it's an anniversary with our spouse or whatever, something calls for extra attention. Do you, do you follow me with that? Now, the, the thing I see with our encounters with God is we don't need to wait for the anniversary. We don't need to wait for the recital. We just need to find ourselves moved to respond. Now, even with our children, we don't need to wait for those encounters to respond. There's nothing wrong to cuddle up with our children and love on them extra or just regularly. There's nothing wrong with responding to our spouses because it's not a special occasion, but just because. And all that to say, even today as we've gathered on Sunday, it's pretty common that we have times to be moved by him uh, sometimes we are uh, by the message or through the worship that we have find ourselves where we want to take it to the next step in some form of an expression. I believe that after what we talk about today, maybe we'll want to express ourselves to him a little bit more. So that's why I'm just a short, brief introduction in worship. I'm going to share and then we're going to go back into a time of worship and we'll either express ourselves or we won't. But I'm going to, and so you can join in with me, and that's fine, or you can just be glad that we sang some more. So as we recap what's going on in this permission, we're looking at the, some of the prayers that Paul prayed over the church found throughout the New Testament and seeing how we become the answer sometimes to those prayers, and we gain some of the permissions that God has given us. And if you'll remember when we opened up this series, we talked about uh, that when we think of the word permission, oftentimes we think of what we can and we cannot do or the do's and the don'ts. And that I want us to focus more on not so much about what we can and cannot do, but realize just to sit in the benefits of what we have. And we could interchange this word permission with benefit. And so we're going to look at some of the benefits that we have uh, through this life that we live as believers, as Christians 
And recapping from week one, we looked at the first chapter of Ephesians as Paul prayed out some things that we would have permission to receive the Holy Spirit for the purpose of wisdom and revelation. That we would be given permission to know the hope in which God has called us. He's not just called every one of us to fulfill some kind of a purpose, not just called me into full-time ministry to do what I'm doing right here. He's not just called you all to do some kind of a service and act for Him, but He has also called you into a place of hope. And that's pretty cool. And we've also been given permission to know His glorious inheritance, that we are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. And then we looked at that we've been given permission to know, and I like this, the immeasurable greatness, not just of his power, but of his power directed towards us, which is pretty incredible. And then last week we concentrated for a little while on Matthew chapter 16, where uh, Peter had a revelation of who Jesus was. And we discovered in that revelation that Peter in this moment lived in the permission to think like God. And in so doing, he had access to the things of heaven and he had the authority that heaven gave him. Of course, we also went on and discovered that he not just in this moment thought like heaven or like God. And then just moments later, he began to think like man, which was sin. But we discovered that we are to have permission to think like God. And today... Today, I want to spend just a few moments in looking at the permission that we have to partake in his promise. That's pretty cool. We have permission to partake in his promise. And if we go all the way back to the Old Testament, we can look at a promise that was spoken to mankind through a man by the name of, at the time, Abram. Abram, and we we see this that that God meets this man who is older in life, and he's married to a woman by the name of Sarai. And Abram and Sarai have not been able to have children. And God looks at him and he says, "I'm going to give you descendants that number the stars in the heavens, and through him a nation is birthed through a promise." the Jewish nation, the Israelites. And the thing about that promise is if you study it out and you look at it, these are the chosen people of God, the ones that would partake in the very blessings of God, the ones that would have his heart turned towards them, that even though they might turn away and even though they might stumble and even though many, many times they would forget their beginning God might have to punish them. God might have to send them into exile. And it might look like God has looked away, but he's never turned his back on them. All he has ever done is put things in motion to bring them back to him. And he's blessed them and he's prospered them and he's had them live in health and he's done great and great and miraculous things in their midst he has demonstrated his power time and time and time again but even beyond demonstrating his power he's demonstrated his grace showing that if you would just turn from your old ways and turn towards him he would always welcome them 
back even to the point when we look in the book of Joel in the Old Testament one of the prophets there tells the the people of God you've got to turn from your wicked ways and if you don't God will send pestilence and plagues your way but if you do God will do awesome things in your midst and what happens is these these people of God these Israelites decide that they're not going to heed the warning of the prophet and these men and women that are of God decide that they're going to turn their back on God so God, God does exactly what he warned them he would do he said look I will do this I'm giving you fair warning I'm good enough to at least let you know what's going to come if you don't pay attention to what I say. And, and plagues and pestilence, swarming locusts come and annihilate the land and send them into um, uh, all kinds of just distress. And they get the picture and they repent and they turn from their wicked ways and they come back and God delivers them from their scenario. And I love what it says in the latter part of the book of Joel, not Job, but Joel, Joel, and it says very clearly that the God restored the years that the swarming locust had taken. And what that tells me and what that can tell us is in God's grace, even when we mess up and we slip back and we have to deal with sometimes God's wrath in our lives, that when he restores us back or restores his people back to him, that he restores us completely back to him. I can sum it up this way. In God, when we return back to him, there's no lost ground. That's a good God. That's a good God. So here we've got this set up before us that the promise of God was for these people that I've just described. Now, is any one of us in here full-on Jewish descent? So why on earth would I try to tell you all that story? How on earth does that apply to you and to me? Well, let me tell you, we get to partake in the promise. Excuse me, I'm super cotton mouth today. Listen to this. Ephesians. We're going to go back to the book of Ephesians. We started there. We're coming back. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Paul writes this book to a bunch of people that are not God's chosen by tradition. These are Gentiles. This is you and me. So people that aren't Israelites. These aren't Jewish people. This is you and me. And Paul opens chapter 3, and he states very clearly, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... Who's he talking to? Gentiles. He makes it very clear. I love this. Sometimes when we read the scripture, we look at it and we go, I don't know when it's not going to mount. So we just don't read it. But if you look at it closely, if you, if you can handle the, the English language just a little bit, these authors that have translated, well, the authors didn't, but these people that have translated this scripture have done a pretty good job of putting this in grammatical order that it makes sense for us. That when we open this up, when we read this, and we can so see, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, can figure out pretty quickly who he's talking about or talking to. Now, when we open this up, though, I read, for this reason I, and I'm thinking, what reason? 
What reason? So it tells me, just a little bit of teaching for a moment, that when we read Scripture, it does tell us, gives us clues, gives us hints as to what to do. For what reason is kind of, we read Scripture, we need to ask questions. Uh, we learned this just recently in, in looking at a crime scene, and of course the Scripture is not a crime scene necessarily. Of course there's moments in there that you might see that, but for this reason it teaches us to ask questions like who, what, where, when, why, how. It's not just specific to that class. This is English. This is English 101, English Comp 101. And I, you're like, I, didn't, I came to church. I didn't come to school. But this is English Comp 101. So for this reason, I, Paul, so here in just a minute, we're going to figure out what reason Paul is a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. But before we get that, let's move into verse 2. And he says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, for you. Now, I want to I want to set some more information up for you. A little bit of history, a little bit of background. If y'all will remember, there was this guy by the name of Saul. Now, I'm not talking Old Testament Saul that preceded David as king, but I'm talking about Old uh, New Testament Saul, who is this man that was a scholar of the Jewish law. He he would have had the first five books of the uh, of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. This is um um. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He would have had the first five books of the Old Testament and probably much more completely memorized. He would have been able to sit down and just tell you word for word everything. This is the law. This is like Numbers, Leviticus. These are books that we can't even read, let alone memorize. So he would have these things. He knew all of the Jewish tradition. He knew the law. And I'm not talking about the, the ten, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit murder, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet, thy neighbors, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm not talking about just those. He knew all of the law. And because of this, Saul was a very, very, very devoted man to the Jewish customs. He... He understood what it meant to be clean according to the law, and he understood what it meant to be unclean according to the law. As a matter of fact, if Saul, well, I'm talking about the Saul I'm referencing early on in his life, were to walk into this room just to be in this room, ceremonially speaking, he would be unclean because he's among people that are unclean because we are Gentiles and the Law would not be even performed or understood by us. Now, I know I'm getting a little theological here this morning, but it just wouldn't make sense. He was very, very devout in his walk with Jehovah, the God of Abraham. He was a descendant of this man that I talked about, Abram, who had the promise of God that his descendants would number the stars in the heavens. Saul encounters this group of people that were of Jewish descent, but they discovered this man. Maybe you've discovered him. Because everywhere he went, compassion oozed from his being. 
everywhere he went. People would come near him. Would you believe that people would just touch the, the hem of his garment and issues that they have had for 12 plus years would be resolved? They would be healed. They would be touched. This same man would walk up to people and, and just look at them and say, hey, you follow me. And they would follow him. This same man man, would spit in blood and rub it in the eyes of people that couldn't see. And all of a sudden, they'd be able to see. You see, these people would come across this man and they'd discover that there was something special. There was something spectacular. Uh, as, as, As a pastor that I love to listen to preach, there was something savage about him. And they'd have to follow him even unto death. This man that this group of, this sect of of Jewish believers, they they watched him go to a cross and they watched him be hung and and, and die a horrific death only to be taken down, put into a, a borrowed tomb. A large stone rolled in front of it and three days later no longer be in that tomb. And then these group of people would have the audacity to say that he was resurrected from the dead. And they watched him ascend into heaven, calling them to preach the gospel, calling them to tell the world of this news. Saul didn't like it because it contradicted everything he'd ever been taught. The message told him that salvation came from a man who was God instead of from a set of laws and a set of rules. You see, this man that these people were following, this man named Jesus came and he said, the law has now been fulfilled by me. See, you needed the law to tell you how to behave so that you could get into the presence of God. Now you have me that makes you right so that you can be in the presence of God. The law helps you behave. I make you right. Now you behave. Do you see the difference? Saul couldn't wrap his brain around it. And the only thing he knew is their message contradicted his lifestyle. And so he became one of the biggest outspoken proponents of shutting their message down. And the only way he knew how to do that was to single them out and put them literally to death. And he began with permission by the Jewish leaders to do so. And he began to literally execute. And we read in in, uh, Acts, I believe it's four or six, somewhere around there, of a man by the name of Stephen and, and Stephen is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ with boldness. And the, these religious Jewish leaders don't like it. And they single him out and they surround him. And on this man's knees, Stephen on his knees begins to be stoned. And I'm not talking about the kind of stoning that we do today. I'm talking about rocks. And they toss and hurl rocks at him, hitting him in the brow and in the temple and all over his body. And he is put to death. And you know who oversaw that? This man by the name of Saul. And Saul is on his way to an area, uh, uh, to Damascus, and on his way to, to, to 
Damascus. He's riding, of course, his high horse, right? And a a bright light comes and encounters him, and immediately he recognizes this. It's the one he's been persecuting. The one who changed the rules on him forever. And all he does is he falls at his feet, and he calls him Lord, Master, recognizing him as Jesus. Jesus, in that moment, causes him to be blind. Jesus calls him out of captivity by the law. Much like God called the Israelites out of captivity from the Egyptians. And he sets him into a place of wilderness for a few days. This man by the name of Ananias goes to him, lays hands on him. You see, in this wilderness, Paul is, or Saul is completely blind. Ananias goes and lays hands on him. Saul is now able to see. He's healed. He has a new calling, a new purpose, a new understanding of who this Jesus is. And in an instant, he is changed forever. You know, Saul was a good Jewish name. It was a good Hebraic name. But what's really interesting is this man devoted to the law, devoted to following in line with tradition. God said, I'm going to send you as the missionary to the people that cannot follow the law. You will change the world for the Gentile. God changed his name to Paul. No longer, I know they rhyme. That wasn't on purpose. That's our English putting to the words. Paul became a Gentilic. I don't know what the word is for that. I just made that up. Paul became a name that Gentiles could associate with, a good Roman name. And here we have sitting in prison for the very message in which he used to persecute for, a man who started out as Saul, a devoted, and now he is Paul, still just as devoted, but for a better cause, a better message, a better hope, a greater glory. His name is Jesus. He's the one that has saved me. He's the one that has set me free. He's the one that's given me a mic today. He's the one that has allowed me to speak to you today. He's the one that has drawn you into this place today. And he's now sitting here and he's preaching this message that I've just outlined and it's called grace. And he says it was given to me. See, grace knocked him off of his horse. Grace, we sing a song called Abba, and there's this line that says, Grace is the collision on the way back home in the arms of the Father who won't let go. And it was given to me for you. And verse 3 outlines what's going on in this place. And he says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. That's what I just described on the road to Damascus. 
as I have written briefly. And what's the mystery? The mystery is how you and I can now partake or be in permission to partake of the same promise that Saul, now Paul, could partake in. Verse 3, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in order in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. Can you imagine that this man that perceived himself to be the one to uphold the tradition of the Jewish law is now saying that you, the Gentile, is now able to partake in the same benefit as I once did, as I still do a Jew. This mystery is that Gentiles are now fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So I want to go and highlight just real quick, this isn't going to be on the screen, some things out of the chapter before, Ephesians chapter 2. And it's the, the title of this opens up with by grace through faith. By grace through faith, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, for following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. This won't be up there at all. Among whom we once live in this passion of our flesh, crying out the desires of the body and the mind, whereby nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, say but God, being rich in mercy because of the great, his great love which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him or, and has seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. So that in this coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of, I love this, it's not a result of works so that any one of you may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared in advance or beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that one time you, this is, this is where the rubber is meeting the road. One time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by which is called the circumcision, 
which was made flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So all he's doing right here is he's, he's describing the difference between the Jew and the Gentile. And he's saying the, the Jew was set apart by God because of their works. And he's describing a pretty graphic scenario by which they were set apart by God. And it was through the law and it was through works. And he says, but the Gentile is set apart by God through Jesus. Do you see that? The Jew set apart by works. The Gentile set apart by God. And that's grace. They're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off having been brought near the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Still talking about the the tension between the Jew and the Gentile right here. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. Describing the, the bringing about that there's no de- delineation, no difference between Jew and Gentile. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. What's the, what's the commonality? Is it our heritage? No, it's Jesus. It's the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Hey, man, he sent me to you and he's sending others to them. For through him we both have access. See, one's not better than the other. We're not better because we have grace and they're not better because they have the law. We are all the same because we have access. Access is the common denominator. Access is what gives us the same thing here. We have access through what? One spirit to whom the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows to a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And there's where we move into verse or chapter 3. And he says, for this reason. What's the reason? It's the reason of me being the one called to you far off. It's for this reason, I'm the one that's here preaching to you the message of grace. This is the reason that I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. It's this reason I am a prisoner to Christ. He pulled me out of what I know. He pulled me out of what I I, I felt was everything right and noble. And he called me a prisoner of his. Now listen, let me make things clear. He is a prisoner because he's outside of what he thought was the norm. Not a prisoner because he's in a negative place. He's a prisoner because he's outside of the comfort realm. Does that make sense? 
He was, his comfort was the law. His comfort, he, his upbringing, everything he knew was if I do this, 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 if I keep this kosher, if, if it's sundown on Saturday, uh, Friday night until sunup on whatever Sabbath is, I know it, but if, if I keep the Sabbath, I'm good to go. That's comfort. That's, in his mind, freedom. Now, he literally was in prison. That was freedom for him. Does this blow your mind that prison is freedom and freedom is prison? I say, sign me up. Why? Because the message is worth dying for. The message is worth living for. They go hand in hand. Life is in serving my king. So moving on in chapter three, I'm going to give you some observations once you get there. So now that we know why Paul is sitting in this scenario, he goes on, he says in verse seven of chapter three, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. His power was he struck him blind right in the middle of the desert. To me, though, I'm the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles to the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone that is in the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was the accord to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Have you ever... Um, hospitals... You ever walked through a hospital and be like, I'm not sure if I should go in here? Listen, sometimes we're timid in hospitals. Have you ever walked into the presence of God and been like, I'm not sure if I should go here? Listen, we can have confidence to boldly walk. Listen, when I walk through a hospital, I walk with confidence. If you walk like you meant to be there, generally they're not going to mess with you. Just saying. (laughs) True story. But that's the same with the presence of God. We can have boldness and we can have confidence to access him. Why? Because faith said we can. So verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father and from every family in heaven on earth that is named. That according to the riches of his glory, this is the prayer. This is the prayer of Paul. That he might grant you to be strengthened with the power through the Spirit of your inner being so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all of us can think according to the power at work within us To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So let me give you some quick three observations, just three. Three observations why we the Gentiles are are made partakers of the promise. Three observations why we are made partakers of the promise found in this prayer. Verse 16 says that according to the riches of his glory that we may grant you the strengthened 
uh, uh, that you may be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We are made partakers so that he may dwell in our hearts. Do you realize it might be a little one-sided? The Bible calls God a jealous God. So we don't get to operate in jealousy, but he operates under a completely set of different rules than you and I operate in because he doesn't operate in any kind of rules whatsoever. He can do this however he wants, whenever he wants, and we don't ever get to understand him. He always was, always will be, has no beginning, has no end. He's everywhere at once, but yet fully here at the same time. He knows everything. He knows what we're going to do tomorrow, yet he knew us before we were ever born. How's that for confusing matters today? So why on earth would we try to understand what he can and cannot do? Because he's going to do it anyway. So quit trying to understand him. Let's love him. And all of that, he is not some mean, overlording God just saying, I'm going to squash him today. I'm going to squash her today. He is a loving, compassionate God that all he wants is communion and fellowship with you and with me. So all of this that we've painted today, he has allowed us and made us partakers of his promise going all the way back to his encounter with Abram in the Old Testament. Abraham now. Why? So that he may dwell in our hearts. He wants to hang with us. He wants to occupy this. Listen, he wanted relationship with man or he wouldn't have created us. Going all the way back to the garden, all the way back to Adam and Eve, he created man for fellowship with him. Moving on, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth. Uh, God's word translation says it this way. Uh, this way, with all of God's people, you will, be able to under- you will be able to understand how wide, long, high, and deep his love is. Does that cover all bases? How wide is his love? How long is his love? How high is his love? How deep is his love? You realize his love is who he is. And if we describe God as, as always was, always will be in every place possible, that's omnipresent. We think that he is everywhere at once when really he is so big that we are part of who he is, wherever he is. And verse 19 says to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge leads me to my second observation. Why are we made partakers simply so that we may know His love. He set the stage so that we can know how much he loves us. So we can know how much he loves us. The Bible says that greater love has no man than he would lay his life down for a friend. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. You see, his expression of love for you and for me is in the realm of giving, not taking. So many of us have had this, this idea of God as one who takes. He took my father. He took my friend. He took my income. He took this. He took 
took that, but really the expression of God towards you and towards me is summed up in two words. He gave. We go on his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Continuing on in Ephesians chapter 3, so that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able, I love this, to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Some translations say more than we could even imagine. He likes to pour out more than we can even imagine. He likes to blow our minds according to the power at work within us. So, my third observation as to why, so that we may be filled with the fullness of God. One commentator says it this way, describing the Greek understanding of this phrase, the fullness of God. Filled even under the fullness of God, this is the grand goal, that is, filled each according to your capacity with divine wisdom, knowledge, and love. Even as God is full, and as Christ who dwells in your hearts hath all the fullness of God, of the Godhead, dwelling in him bodily. You see, this is one of those that we just can't understand, but we get to enjoy. We can't understand, but we get to enjoy. If God is omnipresent, omniscient, and all these other omni-words, but yet we can have all of him. We can have the fullness of him. That means to me that every bit that I can take of him, I can have of him. Every bit of him that can consume me, I can have, and he's willing to pour it out and to give it to me. Every amount of love that I can absolutely be able to partake of, he wants to show me. He wants to be as full in me as I, the vessel, can take. And that tells me a couple things. That tells me that if I can make more room, he can take up more space. So there's some work on my part. And I love this. Because I say there's work on my part, but he is continually doing work and cutting away and stretching and helping me. He does so much work on me. He does so much cleaning. The, the Bible refers to him as the potter and me as the clay. He's the one doing the shaping and the forming and the working. And really, as I make room, it's as simple as I'm am yielding to his touch. And I love how Paul ends his prayers, how we should end our prayers, how we should end our communion and our time with him and how we're going to end our service this morning with him. And it's in adoration to his God. The adoration word just simply means praise. Praise. Worship. And he says, after all these things that he's talked about, what he wants 
for the Ephesians, for the Gentiles, for you and for me. He just simply says, maybe it's not so simple to him. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout the generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts, but also in the area of support. If you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at WLMIAMA.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I. Dot com and click on the Give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.